0: social media researcher tom smith goes on the record
1: online all of this consumer content that we an opinion that we see online that we trust nearly as much as a face to face recommendation which i think is is a huge change in terms of how we relate to other consumers and find opinion Today we
0: have a one-on-one interview with social media researcher Tom Smith, who wrote the report, which was much talked about on the internet and the blogosphere, called How Did We Come to Trust Strangers? A link to the report will be available in the show notes at ontherecordpodcast.com. I had a chance to catch up with Tom, who was based in England via Skype, and we talked about uh, global social media usage trends, uh, what types of products and services get most recommended online, and... How did we come to start trusting strangers? Um, and the interview is about 28 minutes, and I'm going to play it for you in its entirety after this.
2: As the Father said, there are no secrets anymore, only information you don't have. Are you ready for a blog crisis or for a proprietary company information to surface on Flickr or YouTube? Hi, I'm Chris Bechtel, Vice President of Products and Services at iPressroom. And I'm here to tell you about how you can use iPressroom to host and engage in online conversations. With iPressroom, a PR person can easily add unlimited RSS feeds, blogs, podcasts, and streaming video to a custom online newsroom that matches the look and feel of their existing website. In fact, iPressroom is invisible to the end user. And you can use us to build your own online community. So if a social media crisis emerges, you're not alone. We're PR's secret weapon for migrating not just their media relations materials online, but for leveraging their PR assets to drive web traffic, protect reputations, and build positive word of mouth. With iPressroom, you can add comments and user ratings to any piece of content in your online newsroom, integrate social bookmarking, and even generate dynamic embed codes for your content so it can go viral on the web. To learn more, tweet me at... Chris Bechtel. That's C-H-R-A-S-B-E-C-H-T-E-L. So I can show you how iPressroom can extend the reach and effectiveness of your PR campaigns online. Or feel free to send email to info at iPressroom.com.
0: Tom Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's not soon enough because uh, this report that you put out, when did we start trusting strangers when you were at Universal McCann uh, in September '08, I, I have to say uh, was, was, was just a, a, a mind-blowing read, um, s- just packed with so much uh, comprehensive information about adoption rates by channel and by country um, that I just thought, my gosh, I've got to get this guy on an episode of On the Record Online.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the report. Yes. So, so why don't you do this
0: for those who haven't read the report? If you would, just summarize. Uh, you know what, what, what the objective was of the report, and uh, maybe some of some of what uh,
1: the big takeaways were. Sure. Um, well, actually, it was. Um, I mean, the, when did we start trusting strangers? It was a part of a uh, a research program that I've been running at University McCann for about two years, and it was. I basically set it up to track web usage and, in particular, social media uh, internationally. And it was something that I started back in 2006. um, And it was actually called the Power to the People Social Media Tracker. That's something we did over – and I delivered three waves of that for Universal McCann. So that was all about tracking global usage of web. Uh, And it was very successful, really, and it expanded into – 29 countries um, so pretty much all the big markets across the world and lots of emerging internet markets as well Um, and the stranger's report was um, a a one-off study basically in this series of research and it was you know I we'd we'd established lots of uh, international and global trends about, you know what kinds of social media people are adopting what countries are leading the way you know how much content people are creating but we didn't really understand the impact of that so the strangers report was about you know understanding what all of this consumer opinion consumer publishing and consumer content really you know what's the impact of that does it does it change people's opinions does it change opinions of how they buy products does it change the way they think about brands and you know how does that compare to professional media and professional media online but offline as well and um and, and I want to delve into that. But for those skeptics
0: out there that might be listening, um, tell us a little bit about the methodology.
1: Um, well, it's, we, basically everything is conducted online. So we interviewed uh, 17,000 people around the world. Uh, and the great thing about online research is that you can run research in so many markets. Um, at a, you know, if you were to conduct this research in a traditional way, and not online. It, you just couldn't do that many markets and that many people. It'd be just too expensive. So it's, it's a very good methodology. We work with a number of big global panel companies who basically ensure that we have a representative sample of web users in each market. Um, and then we work with all of our local, well, when I was at University of McCann, work with all of our local offices to, you know, make sure to Questionnaire is in a local language. Make sure it has local examples. Uh, make sure everything is, you know, customized and localized for that market.
0: And, and, um, you've, and you've since left Universal McCann, so I do want to give you a chance to tell us where you are now.
1: Sure. Um, well, actually, yeah, I mean, I recently left just before Christmas. Um, and basically, uh, you know, my role there was the head of consumer futures, and it was to run all this kind of research. And I really from from working in this area for a couple of years, I kind of sp- spotted the opportunity to, and the value in this stuff for for the wider world and the opportunity to really do this uh, and run this kind of research for in my own company, essentially. So I set up a company called Trendstring, which I launched only a few weeks ago, actually, in a, back in the beginning of January. Uh, and I really, it's to offer my clients same kind of research so I'm going to run some global research studies in partnership with a research agency and that's something I'm getting up and running now um, to track you know, global web usage trends uh, but allows sort of a broad range of clients to buy into it so you know previously I was just doing it for my old agency and old clients and we'd use it as a promotional way but this would be a sort of broader product that people can buy into so in the category
0: think, of social yeah. media um, you know those services which allow people to, as you said in your report, share, collaborate, and interact. Um, uh, what are some of the global trends that that you saw and that you learned about from this report?
1: Uh, globally, I mean, there's there's a very strong uh, sort of a big emerging Asian markets, in particular China, uh, people online in India, and you know all, all of these big markets and you see a much higher level of adoption of social media, much higher levels of content contribution. Um, you know, we, we could categorically prove in this report and this research that, for instance, there are more people blogging in China than there are the US. You know, we see, a, you know, real, real trends towards the East and, and Asia. Um, over the last three years, we've seen a real growth in terms of the numbers of people creating content Um, see originally that was less multimedia but we've seen a big growth towards video as you know as broadband's had an impact over the last two years Um, and really you know gradually just people getting more and more involved in social media both passively in terms of consuming and reading it and watching it but also in terms of sharing and, and particularly creating which was the interesting thing um, well, one of the things that's so interesting to, was so interesting to me about the report
0: was you know one the adoption rates obviously but ranking those adoption rates against trust so so now if you were to revisit those um, uh, global adoption rates that you just summarized you know what what global trends um, could you uh, take away with respect to who trusts social media most and and least uh, with respect to you know country and region?
1: Sure, well, actually very interesting when you when you look at. I mean, the broad. For those who haven't read it, the broad trend, and really, the, which underpins the name of the report, is that all of this consumer content that we, an opinion that we see online, that we trust nearly as much as a face-to-face um, recommendation. Which I think is is a huge change in terms of how we relate to other consumers and find opinion. Um, but what was most, you know, interesting inside that is. It's not a distinct age is not a distinction. You know, the the young, the older you are, it's, you know, you might assume you might tra- uh, have less trust for what you read and from strangers online, but actually, age has got nothing to do with it. Neither is gender. the the only really The only real factor in, in the level of trust was the country of origin. So, you can kind of see there's real cultural traits dictating, you know, how people. Uh, perceive opinion online, how much they trust it um, and it's, it's very tie- also tied to the level of involvement that people have in that country, so countries where people are much more involved, places like South Korea, where people are very active in social media, very active in uh, socialising online and very active in blogging and creating content, you see a very high level of trust for opinions of strangers um, in markets where in markets such as the Netherlands where you might see a much lower level of adoption in terms of content creation or blogging you see tend to see sort of lower levels of uh, trust but really you know the things like age and sex that you might think it would have an, a, an impact on that really don't when you uh, look at um, the various channels of social media
0: that exist uh, mm-hmm. which ones are the most popular what are the mo- what's the most popular Global channel through which people communicate on the internet.
1: Um, well, I mean, the number one for passive consumption is video sharing platforms, um, followed by blogs as a collective, um, and then social networks. In terms of content creation, uh, the highest really is, you know, to upload and share photos. Uh, then it's to sort of actively share content through social networks. Uh, then it's to blog, and then to upload videos. So you, you see real kind of hierarchies, and it in terms of uh, usage and penetration. So, what is the average size of an individual's social network? The average size. What interestingly, we, in that research, we saw. Your huge differences by country, um, and again, I mean, it was social networking use varies quite a bit around the world. Again, some of the emerging markets, like Brazil, for instance, has very high levels of social networking use amongst its internet users and very large friend friend networks as well. Uh, the country with the smallest friend nex- networks was was Japan, uh, which is a you know very. It's down to cultural reasons and. The fact that there is this hesitancy to build networks of people you don't know, and so there are all these kind of reasons. Um, I mean, we saw on average that oh, I'm trying to remember the numbers now. But for instance, you know, uh, across the world, people have more digital connections than they did face to face. So, for instance, the average number of face to face connections was 35 globally and then on by email which was actually number two interesting so email still maintains a lot of networks was 32 then on social network the average was 30 but what we actually saw the markets where facebook had had a big impact the number of friends people had on the social network was much higher um and you know we think because facebook is so good at building your networks and connecting with people and encouraging you to build your networks and you know, it really has an impact.
0: Here in the report, I'm looking at it says average number of contacts via different forms of online communications. Uh, the average number was 60. And it says uh, face to face is top, email, social networks, yep. instant messenger, phone, text message followed by personal blog, and then post you know, snail mail.
1: Snail so, mail down the snail bottom. Mail. So, so,
0: so. You know, if you're advising marketers on how they're going to get the word out to a broad populace and they're dealing with going head-to-head to a million audiences of 60, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that ensue as a result of that? Uh, sorry, the challenges of... Um... Well, well how, how, does, how, how, does, how does a marketer um, build a strategy to communicate with a million audiences of
1: 12 yeah, it's a challenge, eh? It's, I mean, it's kind of like direct marketing all over, but I'm, um, I mean, social network and social media marketing is a completely different uh, animal to traditional media marketing, and I, I was talking to someone about this today, and, you know, it really needs, you know, a long, long-term perspective. It's all about building community over time, and I think, I. you know, you can't, you know segment your message and your what your brand means down into to tiny little bits, but you can build communities in these networks by being open as a brand and talking to people honestly you know as as there's some great examples of brands using Twitter and you know using blogs in a very open fashion and I think that attracts people to you you know rather than pushing your message out to people you know it's about building networks and community and but it's it's a long-term commitment, and I wouldn't say it's about fragmenting your message into tiny little groups. It's about presenting your brand and company in an open way and, and trying to you know, bring people in from that perspective. Tell us what you learned about the nature of digital friendships. What is a digital friendship? A digital friendship? Um, well, yeah, it could be a number. I mean, if you think these days, I mean, I certainly have. There's, there's people I know and have connection with that I've never even met face-to-face. Um, I recently did a conference where the four of us sat on a panel and we all connected through SlideShare. You know, these kind of digital connections are very real and kind of very happening. And, um, and, and it's something that we see grow. And, and you can it's very clear in this research that a huge number of connections people have are just in a digital format. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is it keeps you in contact. Not only do you contact new people, but it keeps you in contact with people that are, you know, a very weak connection to you. And in the past, you never would have had anything to do with these people again. But in a, when they're part of your digital network, they stay part of your life and um, they still inform you. They still share things with you and their opinions still, you know, come to interact and come and um, can still affect you. And it's, you know, it's a real... Massive change that just a few years ago really wasn't wasn't something to uh, have ever happened before so I think in terms of how messages spread and what that means for marketers I think that's um, you know a huge change that people need to you know really get their head around
0: um, one of the things you talk about in the report is the proliferation of influencer channels and and you take a look at uh, you know the mass market age you know what those conventional channels were, talk, face-to-face phone calls, um, talking to a shop worker, consulting a professional, reading letters, uh, phones, TV, radio. But then you talk about how um, social media age has given rise to a proliferation of new influencer channels. So tell us what some of the things you learned in your study uh, about that (coughs) proliferation are.
1: Um, I mean, really, it was... I mean, there are just so many ways you can now share an opinion. And we saw, I mean, some of these ways make it so easy to share opinions that people in the past, you know, were reluctant to do so. Or if you wanted to share an opinion face-to-face, you have to feel, feel like you're more you know, more of an expert. But if you do these things in online, they're, they're very anonymous sometimes. They're very easy to do often you share your opinion without even trying you know if you leave a rating or a quick review or and it's become so easy that people can uh, just you know it used to be that you could consider a small group of people influencers um, but with, with online and the tools of self-publishing and the tools of uh, allowing you to rate things and leave reviews you know, it, it becomes so easy that every everybody's an influencer, basically. And, of course, I guess this is what leads into the name of
0: the report, How Do We Come to Trust Strangers? So, when you look at this proliferation of social media influencer channels, um, uh, how is it that these channels have become more trusted than the conventional channels?
1: Well, I think, I mean, anyone who works in research, and, you know, I've, I've done lots of kind of research on word of mouth over the years, and You know, something you always see is that a recommendation from a a human, uh, someone you know or a recommendation from an expert is always the most trusted form of information. Um, But I was actually, you know, there's this kind of perception around that people don't, you know, everything that's written on a blog is rubbish or I don't trust what people have to say on blogs because they're just, they're too opinionated but actually, you know, i it was quite amazing how how trustworthy these these sources of information are. And I think it just shows how much impact social media has had, um, and how it's made us more consumer driven and rather than professionally driven. and And it's I mean, it's interesting because it's not consistent. It depends on the social channel and the context. And actually, in in an environment that's trusted, people trust that consumer opinion more so if they read a consumer opinion on a trusted media brand say the comments on blogs on the guardian in the uk they would trust that more than a random blog or if they read reviews on amazon they would trust that consumer review on amazon more than a review on you know an unaffiliated blog or on a small retail site so it shows that there's differences but I think the way that social media has become so mass market and the platforms that we use are so well known and so well established that they've really elevated the trust that we place in those consumer opinions in those places.
0: Now, you obviously did a, um, a good deal of research on what types of products and services people are most likely to talk about or recommend online. Sure. What were the biggest surprises uh, from that part of the research? Um...
1: Actually, I mean, there's clearly a difference by the type of product, you know. People are much more likely to recommend stuff they're familiar with and things like entertainment and stuff that everyone experiences day to day and has an opinion on. So things like films and books and obviously technology is very highly recommended because it being the web and people are very technologically literate. Um, I think the biggest surprise was that even in even in uh, types of products you would consider to be really uninteresting stuff like utilities or you know financial services or things you might consider to be an expert kind of category of products so um, you know things like cars automobiles and uh, property but there's still even in these kind of channels people have contributed a huge amount of content Um, so even in utilities you know nearly 40% of our Respondents at some point had commented on on this kind of product and I, we were, I mean we were generally staggered about the amount of content that people have put out there um, but I really think that's down to the fact that it, it's just so easy to review and talk about stuff and now every time you are prompted in any kind of environment online about products or brands or services you know there's a way to review it um, and price comparison sites have had a big impact on that as well. Um, but the other big surprise was it—it it, it wasn't all around stuff that's retailed online. You know, so a lot of products that have very long life cycles, like cars, uh, stuff that you would never buy online, like you know a chocolate bar, grocery product or an alcoholic drink. You know, things are very unlikely to buy online still have and are still massively talked about. Um, so it really has a an impact in offline purchase as well. Did you um, make any attempt to
0: try to map the uh, segments that seem to be most recommended back to um, the marketing activities of the organization selling them? I mean, is there any um, case for the fact that perhaps these uh, channels, are, the, these marketers are more active online or no?
1: Uh. No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't attempt that because, it, I mean, from that kind of data, it's very hard to sort of draw a correlation on those things. I think personally it's more down to, you know, the topics that lead and the stuff that everyone everyone is actively involved in. Everyone has an opinion on films and books and entertainment. Um. It'd be int- I mean, that kind of analysis would be interesting. It would be interesting to see whether... The brands that have most buzz online and most talked about are the ones that have sort of actively gone out there and worked in social media and you know tried to pursue these kinds of people that talk online. Now, you also
0: talk about the influence economy. Um, you know this idea that uh, this these recommendations transfer into sales, um, and you also talk about this idea that there are super influencers out there. Tell us about that idea.
1: Uh, the super inf- I mean basically the, the premise of the report is it's so easy to influence now that everybody does to some degree but there are people out there who do regardless of the product you know the, no personal interest in that product they just they influence across every category you can imagine so they're constantly out there they're constantly reviewing they're constantly sharing their opinion so really we were trying to you know it was about making the point that there are this is this segment of people that Kind of rise above this massive influence, um, and you know I tag them the super influencers, and actually, you know you see examples of these kinds of people every day. So they're the people that are are really actively involved in blogging, actively involved in things like Twitter, um, you know, very actively sharing content all the time and, and having an opinion and being vocal about it, and. You know, I think the point is now that everybody, because the tools are so easy and there's so many ways to share opinion, everybody does it. But there are some people that are more active about it and rise above that. And you know, these are the people that are going to get your message out and they are going to project your message in a
0: sort of social media world. In the past, um, before social media in the mass market age, you know, there was always this real um, division between uh, reporters, you know, uh, news reporters. And advertisers, and so you know we had more trust for um, uh, the news than we did for the advertising. But in this world of super influencers, where anyone can be a super influencer, as you say, it could either be a marketer that's a super influencer sure. or an individual. Um, you know, how does that impact trust at this stage? And 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 what's your gut tell you for how it will impact trust moving forward?
1: Yes, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. I think um, you know I think marketers and brands should be very wary about how they use these channels. And and from my experience and the research we've done, and you know, it, if marketers and brands and advertisers are upfront and open, and they they explain, you know, their commercial, you know, what they're doing, if they talk about their everything very openly you know it's fine it's the problem is is when people use social channels or well, they're, they're employing bloggers to talk on their beha- behalf behalf then you know that's that stuff doesn't go down well but if you're very open about it and i've seen a great example of um, audi cars in romania and this is in, in romania so these things work everywhere and basically they they gave 10 big bloggers in romania cars to go and test drive and what they didn't do was, you know, they were open and honest and said, you know, take the cars, drive them around, and it was a very open promotion. And you know, people don't mind that. It's when things are done, uh, you know, without when when things are tried to not been done honestly and straightforward, and they try and pervert the sort of true opinion. But I think I think people can be very commercially involved and be open and honest without and get a benefit from that. They don't need to. You know try and pervert what people are going to say they just need to put their product out there And if they believe in their product then in a social media space it will It will fly it will do
0: really well if you're uh, behind closed doors with a CEO who says to you Tom um, I need research to help me figure out how to one build a business case for social media communications inside my organization uh, with perhaps the board of directors and two yeah. to make sure that my organization is prepared to uh, make the digital shift as uh, communications continue to um, migrate online. What's your advice? What's the process? Um, how does that discussion sound?
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are two two ways to look at it. One is to you know find out who who does companies who who are their most important consumer. Who's their target audience? Who are they trying to get to buy their product? And then. You know go out there do do proper research, find out what they're doing online, find out how they are involved in there on social media, do qual- you know qualitative research, go and speak to these people, find out how impactful it is in their life and I think the other thing that really helps sell this case for companies is is to go out there and find out what people are already saying because I know I used to do it on all of our old clients we used to show examples of the amount of content that already exists. In consumer spaces on their brands, and it doesn't matter what client it is, it doesn't matter how niche the product, how uninteresting you might consider it, there is, you know, massive volumes of content out there. People are saying so much already, and, you know, I always used to say that, and I still do say, that, you know, being involved in social media isn't really a choice. It's, um, it's a default because whether you're involved or not is whether consumers are already talking about and they already are so you are involved it's just whether you want to actively work in these channels or just let people get on with it and say what they want um, and I, you know I think, I think you need that mix of sort of proper research and some buzz tracking and I really think this can help sell the case internally
0: Tom Smith from Trendstream thank you so much for joining us